Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It is 1.34 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott, Cody Jansen here on Oilers Now. Bob and the team off to Pittsburgh. They will draw the Penguins tomorrow afternoon on 6.30, Chad. 5 o'clock puck drop. 3.30 for the face-off show. Remind you that cars cost less in Wetaskiwin. Brent Ridge Ford in Wetaskiwin is well-known for their top-shelf service department because they don't forget about you after you purchase a vehicle. Call Uncle Milt, Rich, Johnny, and let the team at Brent Ridge Ford make you a repeat customer. 780-352-6048. Your Ford truck authority on the auto mile in Wetaskiwin. Remind you as well that Royal Pizza is pizza, pasta, and so much more. February is Valentine's Month at Royal Pizza. You can enjoy your dinner for two, which includes your choice of salad, one of their gourmet medium pizzas, and your choice of a delicious dessert, all for just $37.95. Royal Pizza still making it great. Well, it wasn't great for the first 40 minutes last night, but they were able to pour 17 third-period shots on Carter Hart and ultimately emerge victorious. We'll chat about that with David Staples from the Cult of Hockey. He is our headliner today for Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It is the best you've ever tasted. Search for W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. David, you're on with Brendan. How's it going today? I'm doing great, Brendan. How are you, man? Excellent. Appreciate you jumping on with me. And let's pick it up uh, last night from the beginning, because there was a story in that first 40 minutes, David, and the story was just how well John Tortorella's Flyers executed the game plan of frustrating Edmonton. Ten shots through 40 minutes. What was your take? Well, you, do you watch that show Ted Lasso? <laughs> yep. Follow British soccer? There's an expression, parking the bus. And it essentially means you pull everybody back and defend. And that's exactly what the Flyers did. Um, they just played an extremely tedious, boring, conservative, tenacious, extremely effective brand of hockey against the Edmonton Oilers. I really give credit to them. Uh, they frustrated the Oilers at every turn and were on them. They were working hard. They were working as a, as a, as a, a group. And, uh, you know, as a, they were playing that perfect road game. And then they got some opportunistic scoring. Um, Stuart Skinner looked like he had, uh, you know, he's shaken off the flu there on that first goal against. And then a couple of veteran players, uh, Cody Cece coughs, makes a bad pass at his own zone. Zach Hyman doesn't cover um, Tippett coming into the end, and, it's, and the Flyers have two goals. So, um, yeah, Philadelphia, full credit to them. They played a very ugly, hideous brand of hockey, and it was really effective. It's been effective against Edmonton in past. I think back to that playoff series where Todd McClellan had Los Angeles playing a very passive forecheck, and Edmonton took a while to adjust to that. And and so I, I think that there's something to be said for that being an, uh, at least some sort of effective measure at keeping Edmonton's offense at bay so long as the floodgates hold. Yeah, it works if you get that early goal. If you can get the lead, um, that really helps in that style of play. And um, it, the Oilers do have to figure out a way to work through it. And eventually they did. I mean, power play is obviously one way to work through it. But it was it was a little frustrating in, the, in that 
Um, he almost got the sense that if they didn't get a power play goal, if the power play didn't come through, the Oilers weren't going to win that game. So at even strength, even with all the talent that they have on the attacking lines, the Oilers were struggling to, to break through that defensive play. And that's what happened against L.A. last year as well. Against L.A., the Oilers... Um, played poor defensive hockey uh, until they, they got down three games to two and then they cranked it up. This game, the Oilers weren't that bad defensively other than that one um, um, couple breakdowns. They were okay defensively, and I, and I do give the Oilers credit. They really did stick with it. Um, I thought Connor McDavid especially uh, was just willing that team. And But I also other like Tyson Berry, Warren Fogle, uh, Philip Broberg. A number of players were playing really hard, tough hockey. They stuck with it. And finally, they got the finally things changed, Brendan. They got they got the breaks, and and the weirdest break was Devin Shore getting a stick in the face, which leads to a four minute penalty. That in its own way, that's tough on Devin Shore. Obviously, he get hit smashed in the face like that with a stick. Four minute uh, power play in the third period like that, though, I think really gave the Oilers confidence that they were going to get it done. And immediately we saw one of the best passing plays of the season between Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, and Drysaddle finishing it. Um, with the orders because they, you know, when when they do get that extra man, it's we all know what happens then. For sure, and and I think, you know, there it's not as if they're reliant on the power play, David. But again, trying to generate five on five, even against Philadelphia at times, can be a real struggle for this team. And I wonder, in the absence of Kane, in the absence of Costin, if there was just some emotion missing out of things last night. But uh, you know, five on five, as as we've highlighted time and again on this show, this team surrenders a lot of goals against, even with their their top players uh, out there on the ice. So um, you heard Jay Woodcroft talk about that yesterday as being a byproduct of just how much those top players are on the ice. What do you, what's your stance on that? Well, um, I, I do think that the Oilers would be really better served, well served, if they had um, a designated checking line. And uh, a line that they can put out there consistently against tough competition. And at the, at the end of periods, um, at the start of periods, where the game's tied or they're, they're, they're ahead, at the, you know, the first minute of a period, the last minute of a period, they need that kind of um, veteran line of grinders who can go out there and get the job done. And I actually think they have that within this team. And it, it would be a, a change of philosophy because Woodcro- Woodcroft and the very best players on this team, McDavid and Drysaddle, there's an expectation from those players that they're going to play um, those minutes, even if the Oilers are protecting a lead. Um, and it doesn't always work out because McDavid and Drysaddle, they're just their DNA is attack, attack, attack. And sometimes they get scored on. So if you wanted to just keep them a bit fresher for overtime, for instance, or for later in the game, You'd find that line. So the players that I see as possibilities for that kind of line are um, Ryan McLeod, Derek Ryan, Warren Fogle, and especially Matthias Janmark, who I think is the best defensive forward that the Oilers have brought in in a long, long time. Janmark, um, you know, we track at the Cult of Hockey, who makes mistakes on grade A chances, grade A shots and goals against. Janmark's hardly made any all year long. He is he is a, he is an outstanding defensive hockey player, so he's he would be part of that line, and it would be either McLeod or Ryan um, at at center, or and maybe Ryan on the wing, 
or Fogel. I, I do think they have the players, and I just think it, it's, it will be a shift in thinking because McDavid and Dreisel want to be out there in those moments, but I think the Oilers in the long run and in the playoffs – might be better served with a different uh, different strategy, mm. and that still theoretically would fit in with Woodcroft's eleven and seven alignment if they want to go that way. You just make that your third run of three guys, and then have a couple others rotate through. So certainly possible, and, and I like what you're saying about Janmark because I know the difference he's made on the penalty kill. And boy, could this team ever use a difference maker on the penalty kill? It seems whether that's a guy to win faceoffs and the defensive zone, whatever the case is, it looks like maybe some personnel could use upgrading there as well. Well, I think with DeHarnay, they've they've done it to a significant extent. They really needed that great big, big Bobby Clobber of a D-man back there on the PK, and DeHarnay really is filling the bill. He's giving you everything you'd want. Um, Super tough and nasty on the boards in front of the net. Also effective winning pucks off people. They can't get around him. Um, I don't know if he's blocked a lot of shots yet, but I think that's probably in his repertoire as well. So they've really shored things up by, by not... You know, going with a more defensive player as opposed to Bouchard or Barry, and this is what I'm kind of talking about in the last minute of tied games or the you know um, when it's close and you need to shut down someone, get those shut down defensive minded players out there. You can ask Bouchard or Barry to kill penalties, but it's really not their forte. And uh, Deharney's made a huge difference. Um, we both heard Bob mention a lot of times that they could use it a forward in the, of the of the same mold, and I don't disagree with that. But I do think, um, you know, when when Daharney was out of the lineup, we were uh, Oilers fans were really missing him when he got sick, and um, you know he's made a big difference. I thought it was funny as we chat with uh, David Staples from the Cult of Hockey uh, that upon his return last night, the question was asked, uh, "Did you miss Daharney?" And I. I got the sense that Woodcroft, Woodcroft wasn't quite ready to um, to give him those kinds of flowers, to say that he was a serious piece of the game missing. But in reality, David, who was on the ice at the in the dying juncture of that game last night, killing it all off? It was Vinny DeHarnay. So the coaching staff clearly trusts this player. And I look at you know twelve, little over twelve minutes of ice time last night, and you know he's been sheltered in some ways, but really not in others. When you think about the time of the game that he was out there and 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 the pressure, I guess. Well, I've seen him do well against just about everyone he's been on the ice against. and So I can't read Jay Woodcroft's mind, but I wonder if the answer was a little bit political there. I mean, because DeHarnay might have been kept out possibly for salary cap reasons, like they had to make a choice. And, you know, so he's working, Woodcroft's working with the GM with Holland, who's in a tough position there. And they, they, I don't think they wanted him out of the lineup. So whether it was a salary cap or flu or a combination of both, he was out for a while. They could have got him back in, I think, earlier, if, if not for the flu, though, because um, um, they had the emergency, emergency recall situation. But, uh, yeah, he, he, he's what they were missing. Uh, they missed Chris Russell. They missed Adam Larson. Both those players, uh, you know, Adam Larson's just the, the big, tough guy on defense. DeHarnay's not at that level, but he does, he's a reasonable facsimile thereof. 
Philip Broberg still up with the team. He was the one they kept here when two players on entry-level contracts needed to go down. I think that's a sign to me that the, the team is loving what they're seeing from him lately. Uh, it's a player that perhaps if you had traded him a little earlier on, you would have been lamenting that, and, and they wanted to be patient with him. David, it might have taken half a season, but looks like we're finally seeing now, um, for the most part, what the potential for this player is to be that really serviceable, if not flashy defenseman. I agree with your assessment, Brendan. I mean, I just... um He's a, he's a very interesting player because he was a lot flashier at other levels in the Swedish league. He carried the puck more for the Swedish juniors when he wasn't hurt, at least. He carried the puck a lot. We're, we've yet to see that aspect of his game. So I think we're actually just seeing... I think he's playing extremely conservative hockey. And uh, I think he's been told to do that, and that's what he's doing because you know he just wants to get a foothold uh, in the NHL. He wants to establish himself as an NHL player. This His game has a lot of room to grow, but the really good news is what we're seeing on defense. And he, he's, quite, he's a very interesting player on defense because um, he hardly gets beat one-on-one in corner battles. And he's not a physical guy, but because of his size, his reach, his outstanding ability uh, to skate, his agility, his speed, and his fundamentals, his hockey fundamentals. He's on the right side of the puck, and he stays on the right side of the puck. Guys try to, to get out from around him, and he's just, he's just on them. He's in their way. He blocks them, and he does it. He does it right now, not against tough competition, but he does it as well as any Edmonton Oilers defenseman. He's just, he is blocking you constantly. And that's got to be a real security blanket for the coach watching that, that thinking you can send out this young guy and he's going to get that done. And when he gets the puck, you know, he, he's not going to do anything crazy. He's just going to move the puck. So that's, uh, that's what he's done so far. Kept it simple, stupid, and that's working for him. But I do think there is a whole new level that he's going to bring his game to offensively when he starts to skate more with the puck. And, um, you know, the, we'll see more of that, I think, probably next season. This year, I think we'll see that this, uh, just more of the same, which would be good, maybe against tougher competition, and we'll see if he can do it then. So the player that jumps to mind, David, the way that you just described his game is he actually just rolled through town here, and that's Keandre Miller, who is a big body on the back end of the Rangers. He's only a year older than uh, than Broberg, so theoretically, if you're looking at development-wise, and this, this player is dynamite for the New York Rangers, but he's not doing it necessarily by lighting up the score sheet or blowing guys up in the middle of the ice. He is just so big and such an effective skater that he's either beating you to the puck or he's pulling you right off of it. And I think that if Edmonton can can breed their own version of Keandre Miller, then again we say like you're turning out quality, serviceable prospects, and that's not something this organization's always been able to do. That is correct, and we can we'll both remember. I'm sure when Broberg first came up, and it's, he was he was getting drilled through the boards um, consistently yeah. in exhibition games and getting smashed, bashed, and he, he didn't know how to resist. Now he's a little stronger, but but he just knows now how to go into the corners. He's he's learned a lot, I think, from Matson about how to go into those corners, hold himself up, shield shield. Um, you know, use his body as a shield to, to absorb the hit and uh, win the puck. He's He has excellent technique. He's a very impressive player. So I'm certainly glad that the Oilers uh, stuck with this player. And, I'm, I'm you know, I think there's a, a massive consensus among Oilers fans who are the smartest hockey fans on earth that this guy's a player. Yeah, I get the sense he won't be going anywhere in nine days' time when the deadline approaches. Uh, David, appreciate you jumping on this afternoon, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you. 
great to talk to you, Brendan. Thanks, David Staples. Available at D Staples on Twitter or uh, at the Cult of Hockey. You can find his work there as well. We are back to wrap up Oilers now in a moment. to this day in Oilers history. It's brought to you by New West Travel. Travel to California this April. Watch the Oilers play the Kings and the Ducks. Call New West Travel or visit newwesttravel.com. We'll rewind to 1984. Wayne Gretzky ties his own NHL record from 1981-82 with his 10th hat trick of the season. He scored four goals and an assist. The Oilers hammering the Penguins. 9-2 in Pittsburgh. Gretzky's second four-goal game in two days. Not bad. Um, interesting. They're playing Pittsburgh this time 30-some-odd years ago. Just about 40 years. 39 years ago. 39 years ago? Holy smokes. I guess That's some good math on the fly. Thank you. I'm turning 29 this year, so it wasn't that... Math guy? Yeah, that was somewhere in there. Okay, speaking of math, um, just logged on to... What is it called here? Money Puck. Perhaps you're familiar with it, you analytical son of a gun, you. Um... Carolina has the highest odds in the NHL to make the Stanley Cup final. Care to wager a guess at who's the second best team with the best odds right now, or second best odds? Well, I would have said Boston, but I feel like the way you pose that question, I'm not correct. Yeah, it's a loaded question. That's a low. Ed, okay, then Edmonton. Edmonton is second at 22% to make the cup final, and Boston checks in, according to Money Puck's odds, at just 19%. So they're right there with the beast from the east, but ultimately, you know, despite everything that's gone on leading up to this point in the year, Edmonton's still favored to come out of the West. So what does that all factor in, though? Is that just the way that, like, West teams are kind of trending downward? Like, Colorado's got Makar out with concussion issues. Their goaltending's still suspect. Like, the best team in the West doesn't have a starting goaltender. Like, or the Pacific, I guess. Like, is that what that takes into effect, or what? Yeah, it, it has to. I'm not, it doesn't specifically say these are the qualifiers, but oh, read more about how these odds are calculated shall we <laughs> uh running a simulation of the rest of the nhl season 100,000 times that's how they do it with the season simulator at money puck imagine so. just sitting there with a calculator <laughs> yeah no the abacus is out <laughs> holy smokes okay it is the oilers and penguins tomorrow on 6 30 chad it should be a good one because frankly crosby mcdavid just is always a good one uh we got time for a couple more text messages here. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. There's a lot of ones. They're just saying, like, listen, I'm tired of excuses. Karsten is texted in saying, I'm tired of excuses, Brendan, not from you specifically, but just everybody. Excuses for cap constraints. Uh, Holland signed Yessi to a, a $3 million deal. He signed Cody Cece, signed Nurse. Excuses for prices being too high. These guys are getting paid big money to figure this kind of thing out. They're stewarding generational talents in the final years of their contracts. Do you think people will want to hear excuses when Connor and Leon walk if Ken refuses to act? Time is now, says Karsten. Well, the time may be nine days from now. That's when the trade deadline officially hits. We'll be live on the air when that happens. We'll have all the updates for you. It's not a matter of if they make a move. It's a matter of what move they ultimately make. Period. End of story. The window is open, and that's not lost on management. 
I understand how frustrating it is watching the Toronto Maple Leafs at, watching other teams at, the New York Rangers adding. But that doesn't preclude Edmonton from adding something as well. I just think there's too much in flux right now as to really what that ad needs to be. And Andy Strickland put out this afternoon as well that the ask for Jacob Chikorin is still two first-round picks or a first-round pick and a prospect that would equal first. So I don't think we're getting Pugliarvi out of the way. That's, that, that hasn't moved, right? That is the exact same ask that it's been. And clearly, not only the Oilers, but other teams around the league have not wanted to pay that price for the last year plus. Which shows that Arizona is fine with holding on to them. Sure. But that also doesn't make sense if he's that injury prone. You're scared of playing him in an extra game or two. Yeah. And he wasn't practicing either. So was he actually hurt, perhaps? Did he get hurt again and they didn't want to say anything, as Mark mentioned in that interview? Did did he get hurt? Is that why people are gun-shy again? I don't know, man, but it is going to be an exciting nine days in the lead-up. Bob's back tomorrow. He'll carry you through that portion. But before then, Reed Wilkins has Inside Sports tonight. 6.30, Chad, 6 o'clock. You'll hear from NHL on Sportsnet analyst, uh, former Oilers forward Luke Gazdick. You'll hear from Penguins radio analyst and two-time Stanley Cup champ Phil Bork, as well as U of A Golden Bears forward Jake and Smallwood, who pretty sure was nominated for uh, all, the all-rookie team there in Canada West. Up next, we've got a global news weather traffic update with Kevin Robertson, Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3, and then 6.30 Chet Afternoons with Jalen Knight. It's Brendan Escott here. Big thanks to Cody Jansen. I'm out. Back tomorrow.